Grace be unto you, and peace from God our Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Good morning, dear friends, in Christ Jesus, our risen Lord and Savior. This is indeed, isn't it, the day which the Lord hath made, and I hope that we are all rejoicing in it. And it is my prayer that you who are here in church are glad that you are here this morning worshiping. Today, as you know, is the first Sunday after Easter, and in the Christian church it has a rather forbidding title. It is called Quasimodo Genity Sunday, and you may wonder what do those Latin words mean. Uh, they are the first words of the intro in Latin, Quasimodo Genity means as newborn babes. That's the way the intro begins. As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word. So today is Newborn Babes Sunday, and the text that I just read is very appropriate for this Sunday. As all of us know, last Sunday was Easter when we celebrated the anniversary of the resurrection of our Lord from the grave. And you recall that on that first Easter Sunday, Jesus made five appearances showing that he was alive. He appeared to Mary Magdalene. He appeared to the women. That afternoon, he made an appearance to Peter. He appeared to the two men on the way to Emmaus. And that night, he appeared to the disciples, as you recall, behind locked doors. And then on the following Sunday night, he made another appearance. That was his sixth appearance. And that was again to the disciples, this time Thomas being present when Thomas was absent on Easter Sunday night. This appearance that I just read in the Word of God was the seventh appearance that he made, as we have it recorded in the Word of God, or the third one that he made to the disciples. The first one to the disciples as a group was on Easter Sunday night, the next one the following Sunday night, and this was the third. It's rather interesting on this appearance that the disciples were no longer down in Judea, in Jerusalem. Jesus had said, you know, meet me in Galilee. So they had gone to Galilee. They were about a hundred miles away from Jerusalem. They were up on the Sea of Galilee. And we are told that there were seven of them there at that time. Five of them are named, and the other two, we do not know who they were. But we are told that Simon Peter was there, and James and John, the sons of Zebedee, and Thomas was there, and Bartholomew, who is also called Nathaniel, and two other disciples who are not mentioned. And they were up on the Sea of Galilee, waiting for an appearance of Jesus, because he had said, I'll meet you in Galilee. And we are told that it came night, and the apostle Peter said, I'm going fishing, going back to his old trade that he loved. So the seven of them went fishing that night up on the Sea of Galilee and they fished all night and they caught nothing and then at the dawn of day when it was still dark they looked the shore and they saw a stranger standing on the shore and that stranger was the risen Lord himself but they didn't know it and when the stranger saw them he shouted to them he said fellows did you catch any fish and they said no they had fished all night he said throw your net over on the right side of the boat and they threw their net over and lo and behold when they tried to pull the net up it was just loaded with fish then John turned to Simon Peter and said that's the Lord that's the risen Lord on the shore. And when he said that, Peter put on his coat that he had taken off, put his belt around his waist, jumped into the water, and he swam to shore. He couldn't wait till he saw his Lord. And the rest of them brought the boat to shore. And when they got there, well, they saw that here was a charcoal fire on the shore with a fish on it, and there was some bread. And when they got to shore, the disciples brought the boat. They were only about 400 feet away from shore, we are told. And then Jesus said, bring me some of the fish that you have caught. 
and Peter went out and pulled the net in. And we are told that there were 153 fine fish in that net, and the net didn't tear. And then Jesus said, bring me some of them. And they did, and then he says, now come and eat. And he started to serve, and we are told that not one of the seven dared ask, who is this stranger on the shore? They knew it was the risen Lord. And he gave them breakfast that morning up on the Sea of Galilee, about 100 miles away from Jerusalem. And then when breakfast was over, he turned to Simon Peter, and he called him Simon, son of John. Looked at him and he said, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these love me? And then it was that Simon Peter said, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, Simon, he said, feed my lambs. And then a second time he said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter said, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Then came a third time that Jesus turned and said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Then there came the answer from Peter, Lord, you know all things, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Three times there on the shore that morning, Jesus turned to Simon, son of John, he said, feed, 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 Simon, feed my lambs, feed my sheep. Feed my lambs and feed my sheep. You and I may say, this thing of feeding his lambs and his sheep must have been something close to the heart of the risen Lord when three times when he talks to Simon Peter, he says, feed, 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 Simon, teach, 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 nourish, Simon, nourish, nourish. And we may say this morning, what's he saying to you and me as again as his followers? And what is he saying to you and me as members of his church we are his people. What is the risen Christ saying to you and me this morning, 20 centuries later? Jesus is calling upon you and me as his followers. He's calling upon us as his church. He is calling upon you and me as again his people is saying, Will you do this? Feed, feed, feed my lambs, feed my sheep, teach, teach, teach them. Nourish them, nourish them, nourish them. You and I may say this morning, I wonder why he would ask us, why Jesus is so concerned. We may say, is this thing so important to him that his lambs and that his sheep be fed? Is this so close to his heart? And we may say, it doesn't seem so important to us that the lambs and the sheep be fed and yet three times he says, feed them, Simon, feed them. Them. We may say, uh, what's so terribly important and what is so vital and what is so necessary in this feeding of the lambs and of the sheep that belong to Jesus? And may we know this, that as he calls to you and me as members of his church this morning, and he says to you and he says to me, feed them. See to it that you feed my lambs and that you feed my sheep. And all because, in his estimation, this is a matter of life and death to Jesus. It is a matter of eternal life and eternal death to Jesus. There is nothing more important as regards Jesus speaking to you and me this morning than this, will you feed my lambs? Will you feed my sheep? And you and I may say this morning, why? Why is this such a matter of life and death to him? Because in the first place, the risen Lord would remind you and me of this, that it's only by feeding the lambs and the sheep that their faith in him as Savior will remain alive and it won't die. It doesn't, again, become an impossibility in your thinking in mind if I would ask you to find this answer. Say, what happens to a lamb, to an animal lamb, or to an animal sheep if you don't feed them? And you and I say, well, they die. 
What happens to Jesus' lambs and Jesus' sheep if they aren't fed? And you and I will have to say, well, then they die and they die spiritually. What happens to that faith was, which was engendered in baptism in the little lamb? And as the lamb grows as and becomes a sheep, you and I say, what happens to that kind of faith? Jesus says, feed them, feed them, feed them. Why? Because unless that faith is fed... That faith in Jesus Christ is going to die. And thank God today with the risen Christ, we can say he's given us all the food we need. We've got the Old Testament. We've got the New Testament. And you and I say, what about the word of God? What is it? And as Paul wrote to Timothy, he says, And that from a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation. We say, what is the Bible? The Bible is a book about Jesus Christ. It is a book about salvation. It is the book that again has this tremendous chain running through it. It tells the story about God's Son who came again out of the ivory palaces into this world of sin, became a human being born of the Virgin Mary without sin, and went to Calvary's cross and suffered and died for your sins and mine, and arose again on Easter. That's the food. And that's what Jesus said to Simon Peter, feed my lambs, feed my sheep. It's so absolutely necessary because eternal life this is a matter of eternal life and a matter of eternal death because only as that faith in Jesus Christ remains alive will his sheep and his lambs again have eternal life and everlasting salvation and therefore only then will they grow in love toward him will that faith grow stronger and stronger and will the lambs and the sheep grow in a greater appreciation of Jesus Christ and the blessings of forgiveness of deliverance from hell and eternal damnation. We may say this morning, what was this all about with this love to Peter? You may say, didn't Jesus appear to Peter on Easter Sunday afternoon? Yes, the Word of God says that. What happened on Sunday afternoon? What happened to this love of Peter? Remember in the upper room that night before Christ's death, Peter said, when Jesus said, you're all going to forsake me tonight, and Peter said, not I, Lord. If they all forsake you, I'll never forsake you. Oh, his love was so strong for his Lord, and he really believed in him, yet he became a renegade, didn't he? He turned his back and he denied that he ever knew him. And on Easter Sunday afternoon, when nothing is told in the Word of God except that Jesus appeared to Peter, there was the forgiveness when he came to him that afternoon. Undoubtedly, said Pete Johnson, you denied me, but I forgive you. But the next thing was this. What about the ministry? He had been a renegade. He had proven himself unfaithful. How about the other one? Judas was dead. There were 11 disciples. Did they want him back in the ministry? Was he fit for the ministry? This was the problem. Should he be reinstated or should he not? This was the matter. And up there in Galilee that morning, this was the matter of reinstatement. How about Peter in his relationship to the ministry, with his relationship to the other apostles? And because he had denied his Lord three times and had proved himself unworthy of the Christian ministry, then Jesus turns. And you know in the Greek there's something, again, that we see that we don't get in the English. Jesus, when he turned to Simon, he calls him by his old name, Simon, son of Jonas. He doesn't call him Peter the Rock this time. He said, Simon, do you love me more than these others love me? And Jesus uses the higher form of the word love. Again, agapon. Do you really love me with all your heart and soul and mind as your Savior? Do you love me more in that way than the rest of them do? And Simon Peter looks at him and he, he wouldn't dare use the word agapon. He used a littler word. He uses the word flying. We translated it like. In other words, he looked and he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I 
like you as my Savior. He wouldn't dare use the word love with all his heart and soul. He used a littler word, see. And then Jesus, when he said, now will you go ahead and will you feed again? You can go now and you can feed my lambs. And then he asked him the second time. And then this time Jesus said, Simon, do you love me as your Lord? Not more than these. And again, Jesus uses the higher tie. Do you love me with all your heart as your Lord? And Simon Peter answers the second time with the little word feline. He said, in other words, he said, Lord, I like you as my Savior. You know I do. And then came the third one. And then Jesus, he didn't use the word agapon this time. He said, Simon, do you really like me? As your Lord, do you like me at all? As your Lord, are you sure? See, Jesus wanted to find out, do you really? And Simon, oh, he said, Lord, you know all things. You can look into my heart, you know that I like you as my Lord. You say, what was it? This was his reinstatement. Don't get the idea that Jesus was pointing out something primacy to him, appointing him the head of the twelve. No, for God's sake, no. Peter was tickled to death to get back into the ministry. He knew he didn't deserve it. And when Jesus said, feed my lambs and feed my sheep, he wasn't telling Peter something that the others weren't to do. In other words, he was saying, all right, I reinstate you. You're a renegade. You proved yourself unworthy to the ministry but I reinstate you. Now you can go ahead and you can feed my lambs and feed my sheep as the other ones. There was nothing distinctive. But here was a man that had run out and therefore again feed them. And that's why we can say he's saying to you and me as his followers and he's saying to the church and he's saying to, again, all of his people, feed, won't you feed? Will you feed? Feed my lambs. Feed my sheep. This is a matter of eternal life and eternal death. And therefore, we ought to say to ourselves on this Sunday after Easter and look it square in the face and say, how about Emmanuel Lutheran Church? How about this congregation? Are you and I feeding the lambs and the sheep? Are we feeding them the word of God? Are we feeding them Jesus Christ? Oh, in many a pulpit again, Christ is gone, isn't he? Because men are saying there are other things that are important. There are things that are important, and they are matters of life and death. But there is one thing that is supremely important, that is Jesus Christ, because a man's relationship to Jesus Christ is an eternal thing. When you've lost that, you've lost everything. Oh, I know it's important what to do about Vietnam. Matthew, what should you do about Vietnam? I don't have the answers, do you? They don't have them up in Minneapolis either. God didn't give them omniscience as far as the brass in our church. What do you do? Do you stop or do you negotiate or do you win? I don't know and you don't either. You're not so smart. Neither am I because I know Christians that say stop. And I know Christians that say negotiate. And I know Christians that say win. All Christians. Has God spoken? I don't know, but I do know this. I do know that the cause of a Vietnam or Cambodia or Laos and all the other things, they come because we're estranged from Jesus Christ. And therefore I know this, that the matter of eternal life and eternal death is this. You've got to feed the lambs and the sheep Jesus Christ. When you have fed them Jesus Christ, if we deserve to be a church, this is what they're going to have to be fed. That if some of the lambs and the sheep go astray, that at least we can have the comfort of knowing that they have been fed. How about in your home? I remember my commencement when I graduated from college. It was the son, not only the son of a Lutheran minister, but he was the son of one of our theological professors. His father teaching in one of our seminaries. And here was a man that heeded Jesus Christ with a vengeance. 
He had turned his back on him and he hated God and he didn't believe in God. He was a rank atheist. And you say, how in the world in God's name could a son of a theological professor get so bitter against God and Jesus Christ that he did? You may say, can it happen that I know preachers' sons that have turned against Jesus Christ and they hate him and they would have nothing to do. And they talk about they're listening to another voice. And may I say, whenever you're listening to another voice, except the voice of Jesus Christ, there is only one other voice, and that's the voice of Satan. That's the voice of hell. May I assure you we can say this morning, what about this church? Are we still feeding the lambs and the sheep? Again, the eternal things in Jesus Christ. Can anything hurt worse than to have a lamb turn his back on Jesus Christ? I'd rather have my kids dead in their casket in front of me than to have them turn their back on Jesus Christ. Because when you turn your back on Jesus Christ, you're lost. And it would be better they had never been born. And I know some of you, the grief that you're talking when some of your kids turn their back on Christ as Lord and Savior. But at least you've got this comfort. You fed them. You fed these lambs the word of Jesus Christ. Oh, it's a tragedy to be sure to stand like David over Absalom. When Absalom tried to kill his own father and they killed Absalom, and when you see it, David crying over son, Oh, Absalom, Absalom, my son, my son, Oh, Absalom, Absalom, Would to God that I could have died in your stead. Many of you would rather die than to see some of your lambs turn their back on Jesus Christ. But you've got the discomfort. You fed them, didn't you? And again, Jesus Christ standing up there on the shore, talking to Simon Peter, a renegade, and he's saying, feed my lambs, feed my sheep. And you and I may say, what's so all-fired important about this? How does it come up with so close to the heart of Jesus? Why? Because Christ, in his estimation, said this is a matter of eternal life and a matter of eternal death. And it is. Why? Because he would remind you and me that it's only in feeding the lambs and the sheep uh, that there remains alive within them their conscience, and it doesn't die. When God made man in his own image, he put a conscience in man. And what is conscience? It is the knowledge of right and wrong. Our first parents had a perfect knowledge of right and wrong. They knew what was right and they knew what was wrong because they were made in the image of God. And they lost that image when they sinned. And so conscience became dulled. And what happens to a lamb that isn't fed? It dies. What happens to a conscience in a lamb or in a sheep that isn't fed? That conscience eventually dies. That knowledge of right and wrong because it becomes warped and it becomes distorted and it becomes dulled. It dies. And it becomes a matter of eternal life and eternal death that a conscience within the lamb within the sheep that it be fed because the only way in which it's going to stay alive is that it's got to be fed. And thank God we've got the food for conscience. 2,500 years after God created our first parents at Mount Sinai, he gave the law again. Thank God that he gave a law of right and wrong that is absolute, that is changeless. Oh, it can be adapted and applied in every age, but it never varies because God is a holy God. What is right? 
That is right that pleases God. What's wrong, that's wrong that displeases him. And from Mount Sinai, God spoke, I am the Lord thy God. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Thou shalt honor thy father and thy mother. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his cattle, nor anything that is thy neighbor's. That was an absolute standard of right and wrong. This pleases God. God can do no wrong. And God's law of right and wrong never changes. It doesn't vacillate. It isn't relative. That what is wrong today may be right tomorrow. What is right today may be wrong. Oh, no. We have that food. And therefore, Jesus said it's a matter of eternal of destiny of the immortal soul of the lamb and the sheep. Because as we again go ahead and we feed the lambs and the sheep, then this conscience becomes enlightened. This conscience becomes a responsible guide and it becomes a defense against temptation. Can a man fall when he's once in grace? Look at Simon Peter. He fell if any man ever fell. He who bragged, Lord, if they all forsake you, I'll never forsake you. He went down like a ton of bricks before the rooster crowed twice. He denied his Lord three times. What's the defense to keep the lambs and the sheep alive and to keep their soul in Jesus Christ is what? An enlightened conscience on the basis of God's standard of right and wrong. That ought to make you and me ask this morning and get right down to the brass tacks of this church. Again, when we feed our lambs and our sheep, are they being fed the absolute standard of God's right and wrong? Today we're hearing a lot of strange voices, aren't we? You know the word sex is a beautiful word. And let's not again mutilate it. God made us male and female. It was a beautiful thing. We were male and female before sin ever came into the world. And God set sex aside for marriage, didn't he? That in love it might be used as an expression of love and for the procreation of the human race. Today you're hearing a lot of voices, aren't you, with regard to this thing. What is adultery? When God talks about adulterating a beautiful thing that God has given, today men are talking about how about premarital sex? Is this thing all right? Is it all right because you love that you can lay aside God's word? Does God vacillate? May I remind you, young girls, you're the ones that have the babies. Don't forget that. And you're the ones, therefore, that have it on your heart for the rest of your life. Don't forget that. We say to ourselves, what's, what's the church singing today? Again, where do we stand on this matter of right and wrong? And may I say again, if Emmanuel can't stand on something that is absolute, that our kids can know this is right and this is wrong, uh, then we're failing in feeding because God's standard stands. I've got on my desk right now a letter from a company in Detroit. We talk about, what about abortion? The question today, shouldn't any woman have the right, if she doesn't want to have a child, to abort it? I've got a letter on my desk from a company in Detroit, and I think a number of doctors have it too. Well, again, now it's a, it's a package deal. 
You may now, for the sum of, it'll not cost over $1,250, the letter says, that if you want to have an abortion, this airplane will pick you up, will take you to London, you will be given a room in a hotel, you will have every therapeutic examination and every, again, thing that can be done with the finest doctors, and you may abort, and you'll be brought home, it's a package deal, for $1,250 or less, depending on the season when you go. We say to ourselves, what's wrong? What's wrong? Jesus Christ says, feed my lambs. Feed my sheep. This is a matter of eternal life. A matter of eternal death. Is it no longer wrong to kill? When conception has taken place and old men are saying, just when is a fetus alive? When is it a human being? God would remind you and me that when there is conception, there is life. We're standing, we're playing with morality, aren't we? We're saying to ourselves, this is a matter of life and death. And oh, the joy that we can have when we have fed our kids something that stands and that is absolute. The joy of knowing that we can see some of them that you don't read about in the paper. One of you did my heart good last week. You came up to me, and after the busy Easter, I was tired. He said, sometimes we fail to say thanks, but he said, I wanted to say thanks on the basis of my wife and me. He said, what you've done for our kids and what the church has done, it's a joy. They've got something. They've got something that they can stand on, and our home is a Christian home. He made me feel good. It must do something to preach and to feed again. Can you say it in your home? You and I say, Jesus up there on the shore that morning, the risen Christ, looking at Simon, Simon, feed the sheep, feed the lambs, feed them, feed, feed. You and I may say, why was this so close to his heart? A matter of life and death, of eternal life and death, because again, he would remind you and me also that only as we feed the lambs and we feed the sheep will there remain alive in their heart the cost of discipleship and that this thing won't die. What did it cost? Jesus turned to Simon Peter and he said, Simon, when you were young, you could gird yourself and go wherever you wanted to go. But he said, when you get old, the time's going to come and they're going to bind you and they're going to take you where you won't want to go. Jesus was prophesying, Simon, you're going to give your life for me. You're going to die a martyr's death. We talk today, how are we going to keep alive? And again, the lambs and the sheep, that it costs something to be a Christian. There's a cross. Everything's being blamed on the church today, isn't that right? In Peter's day, when Nero burned Rome, he blamed it on Christians. And in the star, rather ridiculous last week in the letters to the editor, somebody said that, Martin Luther, in order to escape the tyranny of the Roman Catholics in Europe, he brought his Lutherans to the United States, and then look what they did to the American Indians. And I guess I haven't read my history because I never knew that Martin Luther ever came to the United States with a bunch of Lutherans, and I don't know what they ever did to some Indians, but somebody has gotten something that I haven't heard about. But you see, you and I as a Christian, the world stands and says, it's your fault. It's the cross, laughter and blood, because we stand as Christians, because as Christians, if what you and I believe is true, the other man without Jesus Christ stands damned. 
and he hates us for it. And sheep and lambs are going to have to know. And we've got to keep alive that, again, this is the price. And that therefore, that there be a willingness, that they grow in this, that the cross will be accepted as Peter accepted it. And that the cross, whatever it is, whatever the price that you and I will pay it, because the crown, the crown of life, eternal life with God in heaven is worth it. That's why, again, he says to the church today, the risen Christ, feed, feed, feed. And that ought to mean this in your life and mine. We ought to determine and say to ourselves, what am I doing in the program of the Christian church? How many times have you and I begged off when it comes to teach? How many times have we said, I've got to have my weekends to myself? How does it come that to some of you it's much more romantic to jerk sodas? Then it is to teach, then it is to feed, then it is to nourish. How come there's no romance in teaching immortal souls? How come we've got to goof off? Or we, again, or we criticize the program as it is, but we'd never think of turning our hands so we're too busy. You see, we've got to have this leisure time. How many times have you and I goofed off? Or we need professional help. We're going to let somebody else do it. How often have you and I said to the Lord, and he says, Steve, got some lambs, got some sheep. How often have you and I said, I'm too busy. I can't do it. Got to let somebody else do it. Oh, I may do it for one Sunday. And he said, but I'm too busy. I'm too busy. Rather strange, isn't it? But he said to Peter that day, when he went to Peter, he said, I want you to feed my lambs. I want you to feed my sheep. Then we are told that he followed him. And it was rather interesting with Peter. I wonder what that man thought up there. Again, here they were out and there was a miraculous draught of fish, 153 fish. Three years before that, he remembered another miraculous draught when Jesus said, Simon, you're going to catch men. And then this was the last miracle the disciples saw. And this was the risen Lord, another miraculous draught of fishes. And then that night when he was in the courtyard of Caiaphas, he was warming his hands, you know, on the charcoal fire. And here when he got, swam to shore, he saw another fire. wonder what he thought about. Miraculous draught when he became a follower of Jesus and one of his apostles. And oh, that fire I imagined that morning on the shore of Galilee reminded him of, oh, what a renegade he had been. But again, he, he followed Jesus, and he went to Rome, as tradition tells us, and he was crucified upside down. He paid with his life. Again, he went out and he fed the sheep and he fed the lambs, and he was crucified upside down because he said, my Lord was crucified with his head up, and I'm not worthy. I wonder if any of us know the joy of going out and, and teaching and feeding and nourishing some lambs and some sheep, and being able to walk the glory road and to have strengthened them in eternal life and to know the joy of what it means with some lambs and some sheep to be able to say, I know this, I know my Christ, and I know that my Christ lives. You know of any greater joy than to walk the glory road with some sheep and some lambs and be able to sing together, I know that my Redeemer lives, what comfort this sweet sentence gives. He lives, he lives, who once was dead. He lives, my ever-living head. You know that joy? 
Jesus says to you and to me today, feed, feed, feed my lambs, my sheep. It's a matter of life. It's a matter of death. Don't you know? Amen. The peace of God which passeth all human understanding, keeping unites your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus unto life everlasting.